0: You're listening to Music Tectonics.
1: Yo what's up people? How you doing? My little mic can't hear you. How you doing? This might be the only time you see somebody with a microphone that doesn't amplify anything in a presentation like this. Um, welcome to Music Tectonics. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm the founder and CEO of Rock Paper Scissors. We are a music tech and music and tech PR firm based in Bloomington, Indiana, the music tech capital of rural America. Um, The reason I'm recording is because I have a podcast called Music Tectonics. So the folks in the live audience here might not know that I have a podcast. Anyone ever hear the podcast? Well, some of you have been on the podcast. So, um, (laughs) um, so I know it's a little weird to be holding the mic. You, that's not amplifying, but I figure, you know, why don't we make some content out of this, right? So my company, Rock Paper Scissors, is a PR firm. We started doing music in, uh, PR in 1999. We specialized in helping international artists break in the United States, and uh, got lots of national public radio stories, New York Times stories, and eventually Rolling Stone and Pitchfork and all that kind of stuff. And then about seven years ago, I started a company called StoryAmp which is an automated music PR platform where artists can put their albums and their tour dates, their releases, their singles into the system, build a little press kit, and then um, it would automatically send out emails to relevant journalists around the country. So that's still running. We got quite a bit of PR for that, um, because we'd done PR for so long and then other music technology companies started to hire us to do PR as well So we started working with companies like CD Baby, Lyric Find, Track Lib, Dubset, and a bunch of other ones in all types of music and technology startups platforms and so forth a lot of b2b corporate stuff some consumer facing stuff as well and uh My style of marketing is to kind of build community and build a hub. And so we decided to launch this conference here in LA, October 28th and 29th, called Music Tectonics. And this event that you're here at is me just coming out to LA, trying to meet as many people as I can and share some information, content, and ideas with you. And the entire basis of this particular presentation is the trading cards that you see on the chairs there. Um, we developed a set of 18 trading cards, hired an illustrator and a designer that are all about the seismic shifts in the music industry as a result of innovation and technology. And so each trading card has kind of a 10,000 foot view on some seismic shift that's changing in music. And many of those things parallel what's happening in other parts of society because we're watching it unfold for everything, whether it's sports, food, healthcare, education, all these things that um, that you guys are observing in your lives, in your careers, in your studies, whatever it is, uh, are happening in music in some very interesting ways. Music is kind of got an interesting, uh, it's an interesting beast of its own, I think, because it has gone through this physical, digital transition in a way that certain other things can't. Like, Food, for example. Yes, we have delivery of food that's changed. We have production of food that's changed, but we're still mostly eating food, right? There's still a physical product, and that's probably gonna be around for a pretty long time, I think. I don't know, I could be wrong here. Or transportation. Yes, things have changed quite a bit from here to there in terms of how you access transportation, energy efficiencies, and so forth, but we don't have hyperspace yet, right? You don't just step into something and have yourself appear somewhere else. There's still this physical component to it in music the digitization was kind of an early industry and sector to really transfer in that way and, it, and in a lot of ways i think one of the reasons so many people in technology are interested in music is because it's it's leading so many other things that are c- coming into other industries does that make sense are you guys with me do you agree with me is that yeah kinda. some nodding heads here in the room chomping on their guacamole. I'm just telling my uh, listening audience here, folks. Um, So anyway, I'm just gonna dive in. I'm gonna use the trading cards that we designed. There's 18 of them as my slides to present to you some of these ideas. Okay, so this one I did not invent. Uh, This is Music Is Like Water. Um, The earliest reference I could find to it was by David Bowie in the New York Times, uh, many like well over a decade ago, I think. I think that's what it was, and, uh, but then other people have adopted in music, and the idea, raise your hand, have you heard this phrase in music? It's okay if you haven't. Music like water? Okay, a few of you. The idea is that as we switch from physical recordings of music to digital and to subscription model, it's kind of like a utility. Like you pay your water bill, you turn it on, you get as much water as you want. It's the same if you look at like a Spotify. You pay your monthly bill, and you can access so much music you know more music than you want you get in fact it's like a fire hose it should be like music is like fire hose is what it should be because you can (laughs) you can have so much music that you almost start to not care about it in a way that you don't put a value on it because it doesn't there's no incremental cost of what you listen to or how much you listen to and so forth this says when you charge for access like a utility everything changes for how from how people perceive the value of music to the role of data goodbye albums hello moods and what i mean by hello moods is once you get to this place where music is this liquid, people start to make playlists and that sort of thing, and you stop looking for an artist or now, and you're like, I need music to study to. I need music to sleep to. I need music to drive to, I, to eat to, to cook to. And all of a sudden, you're not even looking for artists anymore, right? You're looking for moods, which is kind of weird and creates a disconnection between artists and uh, fans, for example. Um, and then you also have all these technology platforms, the utility providers, what is their relationship to creativity, to creators, to creation, to rights holders. It shifts the whole dynamic. Are you with me? All right, cool. So the other thing you'll notice about these trading cards is here it says elements. There's different categories of these trading cards. We're in the elements section. There are three cards in that. Music like water, and the next one is music like air. And I think I invented this one, but who knows. And, you know, it's totally just like playing off this idea of the metaphor of the elements. But music like air represented on a trading card by a kite is, to me, you had to have a physical way of interacting with music. It wasn't just the, the physicality of the CD, but also the physicality of the radio button. The, the radio button is one of the most simple, sticky uh, forms of technology that that. Anything is seen, but certainly music, because you get in your car, and what do you do? You press one button, you're good to go. You get music delivered to you instantly. Now we got the the streaming apps on our phones and so forth, and you're really engaging with the tactile aspect. And how many times do you have to punch to get to that song that you want, right? Or to build a playlist. You're like, boom, 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 doing all these things. Yeah, it's so great. I got everything. But really, like, you're constantly, like, twitching, basically. Like, if you didn't have a phone, you'd just be, like, twitching, (laughs) literally. Um... But the idea here is first physical recordings disappeared. Now physical interfaces disappear. Hello Access, goodbye liner notes. So this is, each of these is like a lens. You just put it on and you look at the music industry through it. And like I said, you could look at other, other industries or sectors through it as well. But this lens is, okay, so now I've got access to everything because of music like water. And now I don't even have to touch anything or see anything to get music. You talk to the air. Music is like air. You just say, hey, Siri, Alexa, Google, Apple, whatever you are, play music to cook a burrito dinner to. And all of a sudden, music comes on. So wh- <laughs> what happens when you don't even have that physical contact? So first we talked about this kind of disconnection between creators and uh, And and audiences now we're not even touching this stuff. We're not even looking at the stuff. What is our brain doing? Yes That's great. We can hear it right we can interact in a way that feels like less tension less um, Resistance because we're literally just like walking around doing all the important stuff checking our Instagram and talking to our Alexa, or whatever but then you still have this disconnection of the information as well, right? Goodbye liner notes. How do you get the biography of these artists? How do you get the lyrics? Um, ha- how do you interact with the artist on that level as well? That stuff is all gone too. Is this a good pace? Are you guys with me? I'm just throwing shit out here, <laughs> you know. <so laughs> um, I'm totally. I'm very informal by the way. So if people have comments or questions or whatever, I might come over and hold my mic up, but feel free to like jump in here anytime. Okay, I'm gonna bring my mic over for my podcast audience. Come on,
2: podcast audience. Do you wanna introduce yourself? Uh, hey everyone, I'm Danny. Uh, I work at BMAT. We're a music tech company headquartered in Barcelona. I'm our rep here in the States. I uh, just wanted to mention that I was reading this really interesting book called um, Spotify Teardown. It came out um, earlier this year quite academic. It's kind of like a scientific study of the way Spotify works, sort of treating it like a black box, and let's see what what happens with the outputs of Spotify if we change the inputs. And you were talking about access, um, and they they talk about how, I guess it goes more in line with the the water metaphor than the air metaphor, but they say, okay, if, if someone's giving you music for free in exchange for ads, there's this whole, you know, if, if you're not paying for the product, then it you're the product kind of thing. Um, where am I going with this? And and they say that Spotify is switching from selling access to music listeners to selling music listeners' context to advertisers. So it's not even the age of access anymore. In a way, it's it's the age of context where they're giving you all these mood playlists, like, music to work out to, music to cook to, music to drive to. Um, Not so much because, well, in part because they want to give you a great experience, but also because they want to know what you're doing so that they can sell your context to the advertisers in better detail.
1: Really good point, and we're going to get to some of that and some of the other trading cards. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Let's get through the next element card. Music is like fire. I like saying it like that. Do you like it when I say it like that? (laughs) Before you could find music on the radio, at the record store, or on a jukebox. Now you find music everywhere. TV, film, video games, videos. Hello, UGC. Goodbye, silos. U- UGC is user-generated content. That's like YouTube stuff, TikTok stuff, uh, Quora, Craigslist. Like, you know, any of that stuff that's coming from the masses and just getting just... Shoveled. Shoveled into the cloud. Um, it's a cloud of shoveled stuff. Um, <laughs> but to me, this is kind of interesting because the other thing. So, so some of that stuff I talked about about water from a fan perspective is actually great because you're like, wow, I can listen to everything. Air also great because like you take away some of this resistance. Other things are challenging about those things. Music like fire I- is to me really great. And the reason, it's, it's really like wildfire. It used to be you would get music in these little categories and silos, and that was pretty much it. And now that it's been turned into this liquid and cloud air-like form, it's able to transfer it to a lot of different spaces in society. That's my opinion anyway. And so all of a sudden, you have IKEA putting out a lamp that plays music. Did you know that? They partnered with Sonos to make a lamp. Uh, we actually found a a barbecued grill that has music i don 't even know why or <laughs> what <laughs> but, but it exists um, <laughs> and <laughs> um, but but you know obviously, the video game thing's kind of interesting. you know if you think about what music sounded like in video games when they first really started to emerge, there was very specific technical opportunity for what that would sound like, limitations that now some people like that retro sound. But now it's like, you can go in a video game and turn on the radio inside a video game and play your playlists. Um, And there's just so many ways in which music is taking over all these things. On the one hand, that's pretty interesting because there's new opportunities for creators and rights holders, record labels, publishers, and and artists. Um, And on the other hand, how do you track all the uses of music once you have music like fire? How do you make sure that people who created this stuff are getting paid and how do you do the accounting for it? How do you do the, um, all, all the bookkeeping for it and th- even just the payments alone? How do you handle like s- splits, which is where a song may have like five songwriters, uh, f- uh, contributors of some sort in, in it and then in a different territory, there's a different combination of contributors. And so if you're a technology platform somehow using music in these w- crazy new forms, maybe you're a TikTok or something else, you have to have the database not only for America and China, but Brazil and India and th- the publishing might be different everywhere. So music like Fire, on the one hand, is a
0: great opportunity, but it definitely complicates. So my name is Duran Davis. I'm originally from Detroit. I moved to Los Angeles three years ago. I'm the founder of iLad Radio. It's a music app that's launching next year. And this is particularly interesting to me because you mentioned Cora. like f- just a bit of context. Cora is, r- is run by D'Angelo. He was the first CTO of Facebook and they have like 400 million users. And it's similar to just like Stardust is a new app where people can give like 15 second feedbacks on films they like and they just reach 250 million users in a month. And when I talk to people about these apps, they have never heard of them. And that's where actually music is going in this particular area here. So the, the listening of it is fine, but Might be in a DJ for 23 years. People have opinions about music. They may not be considered like professionals, but it's going to be a world where okay, Beyonce album is out. But here's what I want to say about Beyonce's album. I'm going to review it, not professional reviews, but reviews from just snippets. And it's going to be a conversation around music. And I think like the labels are trying to focus on that. In TikTok, they hinted at it, but it's going to go deeper there. And core is very interesting because the music version of core is going to be really, really big. It'll go beyond like the listening of it because a person just can't listen to music like that long. I know that from being a DJ and playing music for people, but then the conversation around music. And then you don't have to focus so much on paying the label so much because then you can just press the stop button, but you can still have the conversation about that particular record. And the last part is the 360 deal around the digitalization. So if Migos have an album and they say, hey, we have a pack of emojis that you can buy for 2.99 and they're going to license like a portion of that to Universal or other individuals, and then they can take that, Dimitri and I spoke about this yesterday, they can take that and put it inside of the keyboard of other apps so it expands. So I think the focus is 70% on the stream but nothing in between. And the industry industry seismic shift is going to shift towards the UGC and not the stream at all. Like the voice command stuff is fine, but like we forget about the kids that use the app. I'm a father of a 14 year old, 33, had a child early. My daughter's always on these apps and she's not thinking about using Alexa. She's thinking about, what are my friends saying about this particular content? So I guarantee UGC in the next two years is going to be a music product that no one has like ever seen. And we built something similar. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: No, I think that that's kind of related to the earlier comment about context as well, but it's social-based context. You know, ever since MySpace, no one has really owned the, the social
0: – what's that? Say that again. The app line, Asia app. It made 400 million dollars in one quarter on stickers, and that's just one category of their effects. So you have filters, you have lens, They have 400 million dollars on stickers, and no one's talking about it. That's where the industry is actually going. The streaming of it is just max. It was only so far you can get with that streaming, audio books, movies, film. But now we're going towards the UGC, and particularly creators. A graphic designer, Quavo, can connect with one. Hey, why don't you design my stickers? They can share in the royalties of that, and then they can find how to monetize the actual sticker.
1: Yes, all those add-ons are going to make a huge difference in music. All right, awesome. Thanks, Duran. Um, we uh, have finished the elements, music like water, music like air, music like fire, and now we're going to the experience of music. Do you know what that is on the, on the card there? That's a cowbell. We need more cowbell. Um, this trading card is more music than ever. If you don't know that, some of you are younger. There was a Saturday Night Live skit where they – the producer just kept saying more cowbell, more cowbell. Um, And that became a big kind of a meme before memes existed, I guess, (laughs) where people always say that it needs more cowbell. But this seismic shift is there is more music than ever. There is substantially more music than ever. How do you compete? How do you stand out? How do you find what you like? How do you manage the deluge? There's magic sauce at the end of the rainbow. Um, So this is just a very basic one. We don't have to go into much detail about this, but as a fan or a buyer or consumer of music, how do you deal with all this music? I mean, on the one hand, you can just say, I don't know, I just, whatever's playing on whatever platform I'm on, I'm, I'm listening to it, what's getting suggested to me, and so forth. As a creator or a record label or a marketer, there's just so much out there, or even a streaming service or a retailer of any sort. How do you help people find stuff? Is it important to push all the mainstream big stuff, even though there's all this other content? Or is it important to help the little guys that have great potential to rise to the top, whether it's rising to the top to give them an opportunity, or maybe it's more of an AR role where you're f- seeing the diamond in the rough and actually polishing it and things like that. But to me, this is a seismic shift. People talk about... Um, The streaming services being the thing that really changed the music industry. They don't pay enough and so forth. To me, the fact that there's so much music out there is at least as big of a factor. And some of our other seismic shifts talk about why. Music production is in the hands of the masses. This is why we have so much music. Home studios, laptops as studios, phones with music-making apps, which is just barely, like we've just barely seen the tip of the iceberg of music creation on apps. Um, AI assistance, there's lots of artificial intelligence now that's helping people who've never picked up an instrument start creating music, or helping master virtuoso musicians do things they couldn't do as quickly or couldn't quite do the same way. Making music is easier faster and cheaper, and this to me I think is one of the hugest seismic shifts in music, but it's also in in society. Like I said, all of these seismic shifts parallel things happening in other uh, other verticals. I mean if you look at like food for example, food trucks. Food trucks are like the the one of the food versions of this or, or, or incubators. There's incubators for for kitchens and cooking and recipes and cookbooks and all this kind of stuff as well. It's happening everywhere. Everyone's creating new stuff. And, you know, that sounds like kind of an obvious thing to say, right? It's like, well, we've got these phones that have cameras and microphones, and, you know, we can find all these things. You can watch YouTube videos on how to fix our dishwasher. Next thing you know, we're building a robot or something. You know, there's all these things, these little computer chips that are cheaper and accessible, and people are making all sorts of cool stuff. But um, I think it actually leads to another set of our cards, which are power shifts that we'll, we'll talk about. But I think it's something to note that... Uh, shifting in the music industry and I think there's opportunities there. We're seeing a lot of new platforms pop up that are specifically for this vast array of musical creators and I'm not just talking about distributors. There's creation platforms, there's beat making, there's meet your producers, find a vocalist type of thing as well that's changing the entire ecosystem of how music's getting created. And honestly, the music trades are not talking about it. The the trade magazines, they're not, there's like this separate economy that's rising up because of this. It's a totally separate economy. I'm going to bring the mic over and I'd love for you to introduce yourself.
3: Hey, my name's Jess. um, I'm a Brit. From London, um, I used to work for Native Instruments, so I've seen firsthand the um, this shift in kind of going th- your bedroom kind of DJ. Um, but I did notice, so I'm a UX designer, so I spent time with our users figuring out what what they're doing. But there seems to be this two groups. There's the the kind of audiophile, like um, like. Production specialist that's been doing it maybe maybe three years plus, but there's also this entry level for a person who's just trying to like use music as a creative release. And I think if we maybe look at it from, uh, they're very different kind of groups. So I think kind of grouping it's it's a it's a big barrier to entry sometimes music production. But if we can you know be targeted to like who we're focusing on, it's kind of interesting. So anyway, just.
1: I think that's an amazing comment and so cool to have a, a user experience person in the room thinking about, that's the thing. These are just lenses. Whatever your specialty is, whatever aspect of the music industry or tech industry or not that you're in or studies or whatever, you put on these lenses and whatever your particular sector is, it just gives you a chance Another way to kind of reflect on it, look at it from another, another angle. And it's so interesting with your experience from Native Instruments, which has got quite a bit of ubiquity in the music creation space. And at the same time, there's these startups with little apps that you literally open them up, and there's some buttons. And you're like, I don't know what to do. You start pressing them. And before you know it, you're looping beats, you're adding vocals, or maybe you're collaborating with somebody else on the platform. And all of a sudden, you're like, I didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, I've got half a song going here. Um, so it's, it's super interesting. Yes, introduce yourself. Hey, it's Chris from
4: The Rattle. I'm not going to bore anybody with what The Rattle is, but um, like the most powerful tool in art is a pencil, right? So the most powerful tool in music is your voice. And like, what I've this particular point about music production, tools for music production, and I know Native Instruments very well, um, there's one of my favorite tools that's been created, it's called the Doubler, by a company called Voclia, um, an early startup in, in London, and they've been able to basically turn your voice into a musical pencil, where you can just start going, like, and it will go, oh, you mean a drum kit. And it just creates in your door an actual drum track. And then you start going, and it's like, oh, you mean a trumpet. And then it starts layering down a trumpet. Obviously, I don't sound like a trumpet. I sound like a goon. But um, these kind of tools now, are tri- you need to get down to the quickest mechanism of translating your brain to that speaker And just like the way the pencil did from your brain to that paper. And that to me is when we've
1: hit the true magic point and we're almost there. You would think we were in London or something. We're really in Los Angeles, guys. Um, it's interesting, though. This this th- this does create another interesting problem. If you've dedicated your entire life to developing a specialty in composing or creating music, arranging music, recording music, recording it really well. Like, there's a mastery. It's not like this podcast with this microphone I have here where I'm just talking into it. Like, all the stuff that goes into that. And all of a sudden, some... Turns out that little Nas X shows up and uh, rents a beat somewhere, licenses a beat off of a platform, and does this thing and builds a meme, and all of a sudden you're like, "But how old is this dude, man? I've been working on this for 20 years." You know, um, that's the other. That's a. That's another side of this is artists um, being threatened by this. And the funny thing is, uh, artists were also threatened by DJs when DJs became artists. They weren't just, "What are you doing with that equipment?" And it became like a, a full artistry. Um, Now DJs sometimes feel threatened by artificial intelligence and some of the the other apps as well, which is kind of interesting. So you see these generational things with technology, and to me it's just part of the same narrative. Music's in the hands of the masses. Music production's in the hands of the masses. So still going on the experience of music. um, Music is competing with everything. And this is something that I think was especially noticeable about I don't know, six, six years ago, eight years ago, when, when the industry was at, at rock bottom and trying to figure out what's gonna happen, even before you even heard of uh, Spotify or anything like that, um, or, or even before iTunes took off would be another, uh, another moment where you're like, hmm, everybody seems to be playing this game called Farmville on Facebook used to be that everyone talked about what kind of music they liked, and now they're talking about what kind of apps they're getting in the app store. And the video game explosion, not just um, consoles, although there was like a, re- you know, there's been a huge reemergence of consoles, but these apps on phones and tablets and then like the, the computer games. People sit on PCs playing video games. like. Remember when it was just Nintendo, or it was just, well, some of you might remember Atari, or something like that, and and now there's all these different ways in which people are engaging with video games, but also social media, like, music used to occupy this special place in, I think, lifestyle, and in society, that was unique, there weren't that many things that were like music when you were growing up, when you were a teenager, Um, and now, there's so many things that have that same cachet, you know? Uh, even fashion used to be something that was just for people who had a lot of money or lived in big cities, and now you see it spreading in a way. Uh, I remember when I noticed that uh, the cereal aisle was like a whole freaking aisle. Does does, this, does the world need a whole aisle of cereal choices? Like, really? Like, come on, there could be like maybe three choices, really? But no, you got to have them in the squares and the rounds and with the sugars and the chocolates and all these things. But I think the same thing's happening with just experience and culture. And so to be aware of the fact that music is not competing with each other so much, it's like, in a way, like, everyone that's in music could say, wait a second, we need to grab mindshare back from everything that's happening. How are we going to have these experiences? And And Duran's comment earlier about adding these other layers onto music, to me, speaks to some of those things, like, what do people want to do these days? They don't just want to sit with headphones on. They want to interact with artists. They want to interact with each other around music. And that's how you start to think about, okay, if people are used to video games, what does music look like in that society, in that, in that world? Music once held a special place in society. How can you get attention when everyone is glued to games and chats on their phones? Make music experiences that are as thrilling as Pokemon Go and Netflix. Did you guys see that quote um, from the f- founder of Netflix that said our biggest competitor is sleep Netflix is winning you're sleeping less so there's that back to Danny
2: um, well I, I just think there is another interesting point that I read about recently which is this idea that music maybe because of streaming platforms maybe because of something else but music is, is not so much an aesthetic experience uh, as it is a, a functional experience device you listen to music because you want it to help you do something uh you're not just listening to music to appreciate an artistic creation like it's as if you know you go into a museum and you know you want to see that painting because it makes you feel good i mean i don't think that's a reason why people go to museums and look at paintings You, you go there to you know appreciate the the art and the mastery involved in creating that that piece of art um and I feel like music is is shifting as well toward a a system in in which its main purpose is to make you feel good or to make you relax or to make you focus better and and so on.
1: Or to fall in love or to mourn something or to sell more products, buy more (laughs) products. (laughs) All all of those things. Um, There are many paths to listening. In the CD heyday, you knew which radio, magazines, and stores moved the needle. Now music is discovered across apps, platforms, and formats. How do you capture market share across all at once? You know what? I think we need to edit this one because this is supposed to be many paths to success. Um, there are many paths to success. Many paths to listening is that there used to be one way to do this as a, as a, as a music fan, and uh, Now, there's just all these other things. So the question is, if you are in the business of selling, marketing, promoting music, how do you reach everybody everywhere all the time, you know? Instagram is now a music discovery app, which is crazy. And part of the way that it's a music discovery app is not just the sharing, because it's actually kind of hard to share music in Instagram, or it was until they started adding music stickers, but there's Instagram, um, the native app has a place where you can look for music and add it, but it doesn't have everything. So how do you get into that marketplace? And then how do you get in a place in, in YouTube's algorithms that it's going to recommend stuff and Spotify's algorithms that it's going to uh, recognize your, or recommend your stuff? And then how do you get on Netflix and Hulu? All those things. There, there are many paths to, to listening. Everybody's doing all this different type of listening. And then the flip side is... How do you get there how do you reach all those people and how do you do it in a a critical mass it's there's no answer and what what i'm seeing in the music industry is that there's no formula to success which is another one of our cards we'll we'll get to music as an experience This seismic shift to me also came up when we were at the lowest dip of the recording industry when the entire industry was like, this is not, you know, people are losing money, record labels are going out of business, nobody knows how to make money, and everybody switched to touring. Not that that it was a direct one-to-one thing, but you saw the touring industry just grew like crazy at that moment because it was the place to put your emphasis and your focus. But I also think that in this digital age where we're usually looking at screens, not at each other, people are yearning for a different type of in-person experience as well. So the other thing you saw was the rise of the festival, first because it was an intimate experience. It was that opportunity to meet people, interact with people, drink with people, dance with people, and so forth. And then eventually it became these um, headlining festivals with these huge acts. And then it reached like a a post-Woodstock level where everybody got the chance to experience that with a mass crowd it was like a city of music is what it ended up being so to me music like experience first emerged with the live music scene but I think you also see it in other ways like augmented reality, virtual reality as well. It's no longer just a listening experience. It can be a full-body experience that can also have a technical, technological implication too. Digital screens 24-7 leave people yearning for real experiences. As the industry fell, touring and festivals rose. Add in AR, VR, video, and music-making for all. How do you thrive in the experience economy? Um, So we talked earlier about music in the hands of the masses and uh, the production side, that's an experience too. So at the same time, people don't just want to listen to music, they want to experience creating it themselves. And so um, that's music as an experience. It's just something else. And I think the the, the stickers, the social media, the contextual stuff is also part of that experience. I have no idea what number we're on, but we're still going to go on. creation I love this one. Creation and engagement intermingle. Once upon a time, there was a performer and an audience, a studio and a listener. Now the line is blurred. UGC, which is user-generated content, DAWs, which is digital audio workstations, the computer programs that people make music and have home studios with, AI, artificial intelligence, and DIY make us all creators. Social media means a creator's life itself is marketing. So, to me, like, this is a great, TikTok's a great example of this to me. You have the opportunity to create music, but then you're interacting with everybody that are constantly remixing and recreating it as well. Um, I think I'm going to fly through the rest of these and just open this up to discussion and then networking as well. Does that sound good? Does that sound bad? (laughs) Does that sound whatever? (laughs) Okay, whatever. Um, This one's crazy. Humpty Dumpty is together again. So... My sense is the industry fell entirely apart when things went digital. Does everybody know Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a big fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men and women, we assume, couldn't put Humpty together again. Um, It fell apart completely, and now we're kind of gluing it back piece by piece. And new things are emerging as a result of this new construction. New music uses emerge These become problems, then revenue streams, then systems to solve. What I mean is stuff that you couldn't do with physical music, you now can do. Let's take lyrics, for example. After liner notes disappeared, I don't know if you know what those are. Some of you are younger, but CDs used to come with little booklets. And inside the booklets were pictures and liner notes and descriptions and credits and producers. And once um, everything went digital, a lot of that information just disappeared from the world for a while. And these illegal lyric websites started popping up. And the reason they're illegal is because there was intellectual property. They were putting advertising on those websites or apps. And the people who wrote those songs were not getting anything, but they were making money off of it as well. So that's a new use of lyrics. So the first step, we say it becomes a problem. Um, because then people are like, wait a second, wha- what's going on? This is our inel- intellectual property. People are enjoying this in a way and making money off of it without the people who made the compositions or collecting the money on that, the, the, the songs can anymore. So, But then uh, different companies came along. One of them we worked with called Lyric Find figured out a way to track, to deliver lyrics, correct the lyrics that are out there in the world, deliver them to the different services, the websites and so forth, and then track how, much, how many times it was viewed and and charge whoever's making money off of it and pay it back to the rights holders. So then you have a new revenue stream that comes out out of it and a new system to, to solve all that as well. And that's just one example. You can see the same thing in DJ culture. There's a company called Dubset that we work with that are now licensing mixes and remixes, which before they came along, were getting uploaded to the sound clouds and the MixClouds clouds of the world. And now there's an actual system coming into play to figure out how to make sure that the revenues are distributed to the rights holders and things like that. And you, you'll see this with all sorts of stuff. Now there's these stems apps in music um, you have stems, which are like the different voices in a recording. The voices is one stem, the bass, the drums, the keyboards, the guitar well now there 's these different apps that allow you to interact with a song by like remixing it on the spot, possibly with just like an iPhone or an iPad, a tablet, or so something like that. So now we have to figure out, okay, how do, you, how do you monetize that? What are the systems to put that into place so that 's where Humpty Dumpty like now that we 've got this very granular structure to how music is delivered and quote (laughs) consumed all these other things pop up and uh, the systems have to be solved and it just looks very different than the the previous industry uh the yeah the previous music industry I said I was going to fly through these I apparently can't um, and here's one that's all about speed. Uses outpace systems. Music uses will remain faster than systems. So these are the kind of stuff that I was just talking about. This, this is just the factor, the lens through which the systems can't keep up with it. Um, there's no easy way to future-proof what's going on in the music industry uh, because you can't predict what's gonna happen next. You didn't predict Vine, you didn't predict TikTok. All these things are just popping up. When music is in the hands of the masses, Laws, databases, and procedures can only play catch-up. No system will predict future uses of music, and agility wins. Music is being sliced into smaller and smaller pieces. We went from albums to singles to samples, right? People used to buy albums, then they bought singles. Now people are just using little samples in their videos. And then, like I said, slice it the other way, and you get stems, we went from liner notes to lyric websites to bits of metadata. Now there's just little, little things that are floating out there on the in the internet about a song. Who is the bass player? Well, you have to research it, find it someplace else. Who who are the rights holders? Um, annual checks became penny fractions. That's the other thing. At the same time that the the, the format of music was shifting and getting sliced, uh, the the monetization payouts was also getting <laughs> sliced as well. So the question is, how do you make those big fat checks when you're getting micro pennies? Are you guys still with me? All right. Data everywhere. Now, all of these factors that we've been talking about now have impact on how much data is out there. It's it's the lyrics we were talking about, it's other metadata, credits, and so forth, but also royalty payments to, to handle all the types of, if you're paying micro pennies to millions of listeners among hundreds of thousands of creators and rights holders, how do you manage all of that data? Whether it's about the songwriters, the publishers, rights holders, or the listeners, or let alone just playlists. And then earlier, the comment about selling the context rather than the music, there's all this marketing opportunity that also has this data pathway that's a big knot as well. So much opportunity, so many knots. What will you do with it? So, some of these cards are really a, kind of a, a call to action. What will you do with it? I guess that's not really a call to action, it's a, um, it's, it's a call to think about it. <laughs> That's like the opposite of action. So before we talked about um, there's no single path to listening, there's also no single path to success. There was once a release formula, radio, ads, retail. Now anything goes. Playlists, Instagram, TikTok, SoundCloud, Patreon, which is a micro patronage website where you can pay a monthly fee to support a creator of some sort, sync meaning synchronization in film and TV video games PR brand deals tours there's so many things and I think I I think the the new formula in the music industry is that there's no single formula Um, and that's what this is about many paths to success we're in the power shifts section of the trading cards the gates are broken the industry of yesterday was a funnel built for making hits now Artists can leapfrog decision makers and reach mass audiences directly or build the niche of their dreams. So all of these things impact this, I think. But what we're saying is because of the access not only to creating music but also to reaching audiences, building your own community of fans and so forth, there's just a whole new way of doing things as well. And it makes it challenging for traditional um, uh, roles in the industry that kind of saw themselves as the ones creating the the funnel and making the decisions about where do we make these investments where do these different things go so i think that's an important one to think about because it can impact a lot of business models mm, let me bring my co panelist back on the mic
2: um i think this is a tricky one because um on one hand it is true that like the, the gatekeepers are way less powerful nowadays it's much easier for you know little NASX to to get the most streamed song or the like the longest chart hitting song uh, in, in, in in history but at the same time you look at the way that these platforms work and they are sort of perpetuating or even enforcing the sort of power law dynamics of uh of the CD era so that it was said in the CD era that it was something like the, the top 10 percent of the artists made the top made 80 percent of the money, um, and on iTunes it was the top one percent that were making 80 percent of the money. Um, so e- even if access to c- creation and um, access to audience is, is way better for the creators now, it somehow um, I don't know if it's because of the way that you know a Spotify directs you to these playlists or whatever the top and percent are still w- way better off, and even better off than in the CDR.
1: I think there's probably an informal economy as well that's not measured. And so sometimes it's hard to see what's going on. So, um, but good point.
0: So just a bit of context, like the record labels are n- never excited about the streaming services presenting themselves as a discovery platform for artists to build their careers without having them involved. They even have this clause in the contract. It's in our contract as well where you can't negotiate a direct deal with the artist without involving the label. So it's like first right of refusal for artists or something of that nature. And hence why Spotify just took away the ability to upload your content. Apple can't because they have $250 billion of cash flow. So the ar- the, the, it still boils down to the hit. Now the power is within the artist. So when a new artist produce a record, so m- maybe a lot of people on Instagram like it, but it's really about if Meek Mill listened to that T Grizzly record and then he contact him directly. So it's like, all right, before you put this record out, let me add my verse on it and remix it. And then once Meek likes the record, then Fabulous likes the artist as well. Then he's meeting Jay-Z. So the power's always been in, in, in with the artist. And what he mentioned is the pre- Puritos distribution. That's That's society in general. It's always going to be the least amount of people represent the total outcome. That's in everything. That's like school. It was always like two smart people and everyone else is partial. So the idea is that it's always going to be with the artist, so whether you have TikTok and all that, if the, if the in-group people, the society don't accept you, you won't blow. So even with the kid with the country record, it was because the industry said, that's our next guy. But the streaming services, are they're not going to be able to push the artist directly because of the clause inside of the contract. So that's like some back-end information. All right,
1: cool. Um, we're gonna keep jumping through these cards here. So this is related to what you were just talking about in about the last one. These are power shifts. Self-driving artists change everything. You could say DIY artists. I heard Mark Mulligan, who I mentioned before from Midia, say self-empowered artists. But artists now create music and build fan bases without permission. That's like the gates are broken. We just talked about that. Niches and hybrids emerge indie catalogs grow and the balance of power shifts towards artists now some of you say maybe that's not true but I think that it's changing the conversations with record labels with managers with booking agents with festivals when you build enough on your own you feel empowered to not have to settle for the deal the traditional deal you might look into the contract a little bit differently um, and you know some people will hold on to whatever the traditional kind of arrangements were, but I do think this is having an impact across the entire industry, and it's going to continue to do so. And you know, the other thing about some of these things in the music tech world, when you're thinking about opportunities for startups, apps, um, companies, is how do you serve this up-and-coming uh, generation of artists who are already educated around certain things, around publishing and rights and record deals, and Also, how do you serve them for the opportunity for some of the stuff we talked about, music creation, um, collaboration, that sort of thing. But I think it's tricky because if you're if you're serving the long tail of artists who are just trying to eke it out, trying to make a living, if they're if they're the basis of how you're going to make your platform or your app work, um, you have to treat them like entrepreneurs you can't just assume they're going to start paying you a monthly fee and that's going. oh there's 700,000 independent artists or there's a million independent artists those are my customers um, I know from direct experience so I think this might be we're getting towards the end here music is more global than ever crazy we talked about all this stuff and you could have been thinking about Los Angeles or the United States that entire time or you could be thinking about the whole world everywhere is listening to everyone released music is global music what i mean by that is people used to release music by country you'd be like this is the american release date this is the french release date this is the japanese release date the internet kind of changed that so released music is global music music providers and tastemakers can be global or regional or both So then that's the other thing is like sometimes these things pop up that nobody knows about in America, for example. And all of a sudden there's this huge audience base and then there's an expatriate community. Maybe that is in America. And all of a sudden you're like, what, K-pop is selling tickets for two hundred dollars and they're making hundreds of like like a million dollars on a show. I don't even know what they're singing about. What's going on here? And all of a sudden it's just it grew up in one particular place and then it kind of transfers over or you have access to data now where you find out you've got as an artist or a label you have a uh, a fan base someplace you had no idea cared about your stuff that you never could have found if you were just selling physical product because a you probably couldn't have gotten the physical product into all those territories it's just hard to ship physical stuff and b you couldn't track the data when you had physical stuff you could maybe ask a retailer to show you the receipts of stuff they sold no it it wasn't going to happen so music is more global than ever and you see um, you know, here in America, we talk a lot about Spotify, about Apple Music, about Pandora, but there's these streaming services that have zillions of users, zillions of users um, in, p- you know, in India or in Brazil or in China. And it's it's just like a whole new thing that we weren't even exposed to in the previous music industry. And you see things like TikTok, which is a Chinese owned company here in America with millions of American users as well, which is just oh, God, America now has to think about how the rest of the world felt this whole time that our companies were dominating so many things. So it's, it's kind of an interesting moment to think about um, that as well. So um, I think, oh, wait, there's more. Oh, no, this one's, this is the last one, guys. The push to transparency is irreversible. What I mean by that is you can't just do these deals and assume that nobody's going to understand what's going on behind the scenes. Now that there's so much access to data, whether it's data about listeners and how music's being played, but also um, data about payouts, a lot of the companies that are in the music world now have a dashboard that will show you when your music's getting used, how your music's getting used, and so forth. Data everywhere is a window that cannot be unseen. Black box thinking is on the way out. So those of you who are not directly in the music industry, the black box is is a term that gets tossed around a lot. The idea that when there's untrackable uses or plays of music, it gets put into a black box. So we're not sure whether this is, we're not exactly sure whose music this is. We don't know who the rights holders are, and so we're going to put it in this black box. And then after a certain time period, that money may get paid out to what they say is market share, like the, the artists with the largest market share. They get paid out a, a percentage based on market share, and what that means is that... Uh, well, traditionally, I understand, I don't know, I'm not really deep into this world, but traditionally it meant they would look at commercial airplay, radio airplay charts, and say, oh, well, they have this kind of radio airplay. So that's probably how much airplay they're getting in stores, because you, you pay for performing rights in stores and um, amphitheaters and stadiums and all that kind of stuff. And so they would just pay it out based on that. So it's getting harder and harder to, to, to not know <laughs> And some, some some people critique certain elements of the music industry that they're still paying out based on, on those things. So that's what the black box is. Black box thinking is on the way out. Data liquidity untangles rights disputes and grows revenue for all, meaning if if people share more information about what the rights are for songs, it actually can unlock revenue. So I'll give you an example. In YouTube, if y- if... If the system is reporting that this entity is claiming 60% of the rights to a song and this entity is claiming 50%, it adds up to 110%. So YouTube's system will say, well, we can't pay either of you because you can't have 110% of a song. If those two parties were talking to each other about what rights they were administering, they had the right to administer, they could say, oh, wait a second. You don't have the rights to that. Oh, that's right. somebody sold those rights or transfer those rights let's get it back to 100% now both parties get paid so this data liquidity this ability for the data to, to talk to each other to these these systems allows for new revenue as well so this one's huge it, it, I know it sounds a little bit complicated if you're not in this space of kind of rights and royalties and, and things like that um, but it's huge because th- what will happen is over time there will be a power shift of more money getting distributed out to, to other places so Um, I think I'm going to wrap up the podcast because I want to share some other announcements with you about Music Tectonics, the conference that's coming October 28th and 29th here to Los Angeles. You can find out about it if you're listening to the podcast at musictectonics.com Sign up to our newsletter for a $50 discount and if you like the podcast and you're in the room, you could applaud (laughs) (laughs) I made them do that but if you're listening at home, uh, you could hit like on your favorite podcast, uh, on your favorite podcast app and come check out Music and Tonics here in L.A. L.A. is awesome. This event is really cool. Like all the little pers- different perspectives. I don't mean little, but all the different perspectives have been really cool to have. And we're going to do some more networking. So we're going to sign off for the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
0: Listening to Music Tectonics.